I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Christian Benner on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Very nice to see you. So your grandfather, Eugene, was bottling wine in Alsace. Mm -hmm. Before that, that was normally done. How early was that? And then what happened subsequently? Uh, I think my, my grandfather put wine bottling before the war periods. And uh, that was good because uh, it could uh, be autonomous. No, I don't know. Uh, he could make uh, his own wine like he wants. Independent. 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 Thank you. Independent. And uh, especially after the war, he could uh, save a bit of wine, which has not been destroyed. And then he could re-make again new wines and the new business, continue his business he had before the war. And then to continue to be independent from the brokers, because many times the brokers, uh, when you are dependent on these people, you cannot make completely what you want and uh, the price are not the same and that all. And that was a good thing. And uh, there is not a lot of wine grower in each region who can make this. And I think that was perhaps the beginning of uh, of the, the situation I can live now. In this past, there was no pesticides, no chemicals. It doesn't exist. Then the, the wine was great and uh, had the luck. My father would not really... He didn't appreciate this. He tested perhaps some things, but he said, no, it's not for me. I'm not happy with this. I continue to plow my vines, uh, to take the manure coming from the, the hills where there are some cows, to hand make hand-picking, age, long-aging in the cellar and the big oak, old oak vats. And then the base is, was crazy good for me and to make now natural wines in biodynamic wine culture. So where are you located in Alsace? I'm in the center, Alsace, near Karma. Uh, Alsace is 200 kilometers long, from the north in Strasbourg, and the south is Mulhouse, and the center is, is Karma, where it's, it's well known for good climate situation, a lot of Grand Cru, a lot of good wine growers. It's just five kilometers south of Karma, a little, little village located, and uh, his name is Amershwir. It's uh, our place we live since a few centuries. And you make quite a few wines. How many vineyard acres and hectares do you work? 
We work now 11 hectares. It's quite not small, but not too big. I think it's a good good situation now for having enough to propose a good ranch and to have a good uh, organization, material and at all. But it's always human and uh, not too much people where then I can work a little bit. Like now I'm in New York, after I can be in my vines, just pruning and I can make a little bit, a little bit everything. And it's what I want to, to make of, in my life. Because after if it's bigger, you are specialized in one part and not the other part. And the quality of your life is not the same. And who works with the estate with you? Uh, it's a family business. My parents were here, are always here. Begins to be old, but they are always in the house just to look, to help. And uh, my my wife and uh, my sister is also working in the in the office mainly. And we have uh, we have uh, two employees. One guy which is really all the year in the vines, tractor and hand work. Another guy which is making about everything. Some trainees, some people who who wants to come by us to learn. Uh, I like this to have young people because they have a young idea about it brings new blood, it brings new things, and uh, I like this. It sometimes work to help to explain them how to work, but sometimes they give back also new ideas and because there are also some people coming from all over the world who, who sell our wines, who, who are happy to be to make the harvest by us. Then it's always interesting to have other ideas from other culture and people who are always motivated and that's great because they, they know how we do, they they are they have drunk our wines and yeah, they know our philosophy and then it's it's fun. And you took over from your father Joseph in nineteen ninety eight. Sure, yeah, yeah. School was finished and a bit of army and uh, I come back here. Yeah. Since I was a child uh, I wanted to make this. And mm-hmm. then uh, I said why why not have been specialized and make what I want? You added some parcels to the estate, like the Schlossberg parcel. Yeah, yeah. We bought a few vines since I, uh, I'm I'm working. It's not easy to find because the market of the free vines is really small, and uh, the price is as huge, uh, important. But we could have some opportunities, and uh, then Schlossberg was uh, our first vine we bought. And um, some other, other in the, like Hinterberg or something like this. What are some of the major vineyard parcels that you work in terms of the bottlings you produce and what are the characteristics of them? I know you're often associated with granitic soils. Yeah, what, what, yeah. What are the parcels that you tend to work? Uh, the, the main, the Amersfoort place is really located in a place where the main rock is granite. But, uh, for example, Schlossberg, which is more next to Kaisersberg in time, is poor granite, like also in Katzenthal, uh, which are two villages aside from north and, and uh, south from Amersfoort. And in Amersfoort, it's crazy because it's a special place where the granite is more complex, more deep grounded and more clayey. And then uh, you have the Kefakop slope which is uh, really interesting because of this. It's granite, and then you have the freshness, the elegance from the granite, but also the body and the, the structure coming from the clay, and that's a bit special. Between Schlossberg, for example, which is very sandy and, uh, and no deep grounded, and then it gives very fine, elegant wine, but 
with less powerful, with less structure. And that's interesting to, to see the difference. Alsace, I think, have much more variability of climate than a lot of regions. But for the moment, the exploration of this old variability is not good organized by the wine grower, by the, by the business, by the people who sell the wines. But I think it's much more interesting and passionating than Burgundy, for example, which is only choggy soils, or the Loire, or the Rhône Valley. And uh, it's a nice work. Uh, I like it because you really have an, on the same grape variety, like, for example, Riesling is such a variability between uh, two slopes, which are quite together, and uh, it's fun. You're also known for, in addition to single varietal wines. Mm-hmm. You're you're known for blending on doing field blends. How did that get started and and which bottlings do you do in that fashion? Okay. Yeah, I, I think there are some some places where mainly the very pure soil very that not rich the soils. The, this purity is very very good with one grape variety. For example, Schlossberg, I think to mix and to blend could be really not a good thing because the soil is so poor that with one only grape variety like Riesling, you have the, the fine and elegant taste who goes out. But for example, Kefokov, there is differently, there is granite, but also a little bit of clay, a little bit of uh, sandstone, and it's complex. And I think this complexity is really much more interesting when you have also a complexity of grape varieties. And uh, Kefokov was one of the first and only slope in Alsace where the blend has always been made. And then when the Kefakop, which is historically very old uh, slope, has been classified in Grand Cru, we could have the authorization f- to make a blend wine, which is just Kefakop Grand Cru, without any grape variety specified on the, on the label, b- because it's a blend. And I like to make those blend especially when you can blend the grape varieties at the f- really the nearest of the soil. We have one vine, which is Complantation, where my grandfather planted a few different grape, grape varieties in the vine, but that's just one old we have. The rest are separated. But when I make my Kefokop wine, I really want to mix everything the same day on the press. Then we harvest everything on the same day because to create a great wine, I think more it's created at the beginning, better it is. And uh, I like this idea, uh, but it's it's not to make blend because uh, now, for example, the, the blends are in the moon and to make a single varietal because it was a moon before, that's that's not good. I think it's you, you, it's, it's the soil who says you. And I, I tried, for example, Hinterberg, which is also a poor soil, to make a mix of we have Auxerrois, Pinot Gris, and uh, Riesling. I made a mix, but it's just not good. You don't understand the wine. You are, it's, not, it's not talking all the vibrations, the emotion you can have, can have in a great wine. It's lost. Then I think, you like for example, in the Rhone Valley, you have, you have a Côte Rôti with only one grape variety, Syrah, and you go a bit down in south and you have Chateau Neuf du Pape. It's always Rhone Valley, but you have several grape varieties to make a wine. And I think in Alsace, we have this work to do now to change this old system we had to say in Alsace, we have seven grape varieties and the reasoning is a reasoning from north to south is a, it's reasoning. I think that's not good. 
especially when you make natural wines where the soil taste goes out. And uh, we have to organize the Alsace, but that's big work, like in Burgundy, like in all the French region, to say, okay, Schlossberg is a great, dry, fine, elegant tasting wine made from Riesling. Kefokov is a full-bodied, complex uh, wine coming from different grape varieties, where the Gewürztraminer is in the major grape variety, but there is always Riesling to give the freshness. And I think when this will be organized, there is a new Alsace that will come, which is perhaps more ready to explain what the organic wine growers or the natural wine growers like me can do. The problem, the, when you communicate on the grape varieties, you, you are just in currency with a reasoning from I don't know where of the world. And the taste I can give to the reasoning, it's just not the same as a reasoning from another wine grower and, and really not from another wine region from the world. Then how confusing can be for the customers to open the bottle from me and to say, oh, that's Riesling, it's crazy, it doesn't taste Riesling, because my Riesling is just different than the other one. And I think it's more interesting to, to communicate through the soil, through the, the, the name of the climat. But it's a new, a new idea for us, but I, I like this. It seems like you've listened and followed some fair amount of new ideas. Did you meet certain people that had an effect on that when you were younger in terms of maybe other natural winemakers or other people working with field blends? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's sure. For the natural winemaking, uh, I always remember when I began to make wine in 99, uh, I have a good friend who came with uh, Marcel Lapierre, which is from the Beaujolais, and he tasted my wine and he said, your red is really not good. I said, wow, why? <laughs> I don't understand. And he said, what do you do? And he, they explained me how to do. And I remember I made one one uh, barrel, with, like he said, without sulfites, without filtration. And the other one, like we always made in Alsace, a little bit filtration and uh, sulfites at the wine bottling. Never before, but okay, at the end. But the, the, the end is, 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 was too much. Red, and uh, it was a good meeting. And uh, I just tried, and I got in Paris with this wine. I wasn't thinking is it okay or not, and everybody everybody wanted to buy it. I said okay, that's the truth. And, and since '99, all my reds are without anything inside, and just work. Okay for the for the white is sometimes more complicated, it's more sensitive to oxidation, but about the the idea to make terroir wines and blended wines. I met uh, Jean-Michel Dice uh, the last years, and I think the ideas he, he gives to, to Alsace are very interesting. It's perhaps not possible everywhere. It's much more possible, I think, on his soil he has in Berkheim. But OK, I think we have to take what is interesting in his ideas and to look how it works in differently soils. And uh, that's good. That's good. The wines that I often really like from you are uh, the Pinot Noirs. Mm -hmm. um, I like you know all the wines, but I'm often drawn to the Pinot Noirs especially. Mm -hmm. Where do you grow those, and what is the process? The problem of Alsace, we we always wanted to make a white Alsace region production region. It's perhaps a pity because I think we are we have a lot of great soil who could make reds, but it's an history. It's like this. And uh, my father, I have the luck, my father trusts in Pinot Noir since a long time. 
And he planted when he was young, good uh, places of, to make Pinot Noir. Many times on the bottom of the slopes, because you have the advantage from the slope where the water goes away, but you have also more deep grounded soil. And Pinot Noir needs a bit, a bit deep grounded soil. When it's too poor, it's good for white, but not for red because you have not the body you need. And uh, we have a few vines just under the Kefakop slope where he planted some old vines and Pinot Noir. It's limestone a bit also, and that's good situations. After the process, I think uh, Pinot Noir must be ripe because we are completely in the north of production capacity from the Pinot Noir. And if it's not ripe, it's really not possible to make a great Pinot Noir wine because it's really quickly bad, bad tannins, strange acidity, nobody, that's not good. Then we harvest always late, even there is a bit of uh, botrytis, a bit of mold. We just separate it. We, we need to be very ripe about this. After the fermentation is very easy, completely, we don't disturb the grapes. We just uh, disturb 5 or 10% to have a bit of juice to begin the fermentation. But uh, I like the full berry fermentation because for the aroma and for the tannins, it's, it's very interesting. It's not a real carbonic fermentation like in Beaujolais. I think carbonic fermentation is good for Beaujolais. It's traditionally like this, but it's not many times adapted to all the regions. Cool to make natural wines with carbonic fermentation, but it, it also can level the, the taste because it, it, it gives a special taste to the wines and then the, the taste can be more sensitive about carbonic than about the, the soil. And uh, we make pigeage uh, two times per day by feet because it's easy, it's fun. Uh, and uh, perhaps one of the montage if it's useful and uh, after pressing. And uh, we put one year in the big food we have, old oak, 100 years old oak. And uh, after one rocking in the spring to clean, to put the leaves away. And wine bottling without anything, just to pump in the in the wine bottling machine. And it's, uh, I think, Pinot Noir, okay, it's really a wine which is made in the vines, low yields, good soils, okay, great agriculture without pesticides and at all. But after it's so easy, it's... Just uh, you don't need to extract a lot. You don't. You mustn't extract a lot. And I think the the oak is really something not adapted for us. Perhaps in some great great soil from Alsace where we could have some Pinot Noir, but we don't have. We don't. I have not. Uh, I don't think we have great great soil of reds, but just good one. And I just want to make a good Pinot Noir. And then it's easy to drink, it's uh, complex, it's full-bodied, it's elegant, and that's, that's enough for me. And it is fresh, I think. It and has it's fresh, yeah, to and it. it's fresh. Yeah, yeah. We have the luck in our little region from Colmar to have a nice uh, climate, very sunny, but also the freshness coming from the wind, from the valley, who comes from the mountains, who give always lower temperature in the nights. And that's very important to keep the freshness in the wines, during the harvest time, we, we have really low temperature in the night, and that's very good. If it's too warm day and night, then the, the acidity is going down, and then you have too much full-bodied wines, and that's not very elegant for, for Pinot Noir, I think. In general, you tend to age the wines for 
at least three years before release. Is that true? Yeah, we, we have in average three years of storage capacity in the domain. And uh, I really want to have to keep this because many times natural wines have a, the, the biggest, com the most complex period for natural wine is the wine bottling because there is a lot of oxidation. There is, a, it's very, how can I say, very uh, tra traumatic, you say, uh -huh, for yeah. a wine when he was doing one year in, in this vat, in this cool cellar, cool, everything is good. And now completely separated in, in the full quantity of bottles. It's very frustrating for the wine, I think. And uh, then there is a period very difficult just after the wine bottling where the wine is more sensitive. And um, to have this storage capacity, I think it's good because uh, then the little problems, many people say it's not good natural wines because of this and this. They happened in the young, in the young period of the after wine bottling, and uh, I am try to to sell my wines when they have finished this little period, because uh, it's many, the market can doesn't want to keep the wines, and it's always uh, frustrating when you make all this work and you sell, and when you go now I'm here in New York and you sell uh, and you taste a wine, oh shit, it's a bad period. Everybody doesn't uh, understand, and after it's just a pity. Then, uh, yeah, I try to 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 have this uh, this philosophy. Okay, it's perhaps not possible on all the cuvee all, all, all the time, and I'm not perfect. Sometimes I think it's okay, and shit, it's work. It works not, and I have a problem after. But the main problems, if they are, if they are in my cellar, and then I can take the time. I can. If if I need reopen the bottle because it's really bad, but I I I'm I know what I do. If it's on the market, it's more complicated. So what are some of the problems that are possible to have after bottling? Problem of reduction, not enough air. Then the wine is completely closed. Then you can wait because uh, with the air who is coming through the cork, you can inverse the situation. Problem also of oxidation, mainly of the whites because. Uh, The wine bottling is so much giving air that there is a period where the wine seems to be more more oxidizing, but after it comes back. Also, sometimes some problem of re-fermentation because when you add no sulfites and you don't filter, if there is just a little bit of residual sugar, you can have a little re-fermentation. Then uh, sometimes it's not, not a lot and it can, can be okay. Uh, the customers know Especially my customers know you just need to put in a craft to put the gas away and that's it. The carbonic gas is a natural carbonic gas. It's just a very good keeper for aging and for against oxidation. Then it's not bad. It's just bubbling. Okay, champagne wines are bubbling and nobody says anything. Then if there is a bit of gas in the white, I think it's not a problem. But it's always good in this case to to say to the people, take care. It's a bit working. No worry, the world, the, the cork won't go away, but you just have to take care, put in the carafe, or say to the customer that is a bit gas, and take time to to swerve the wine in the glass, and that's it. But sometimes on some sweeter wines, it can be more. Then it's better when it's in my cellar because I can quickly open the bottles. But it's very rare, I think, uh, because I built a new cellar uh, two years ago. Just especially for making longer aging, because I noticed that more you make a long aging, more the wine is poor you know, on yeast, more it has time to 
to completely all the the natural fermentations are working, and then the the risk of refermentation the bottle is very slow. It's only the quick fermentation, the quick vinification, where this risk is high. And I think the problems of the wars we had in Alsace and perhaps less in Burgundy and Jura, Jura region. Because uh, you're in a border region. We are, we are border region because of this, this history. And uh, all the cellars have been destroyed. And uh, the rebuilt cellar was perhaps too small to make long aging. And then we had this period during the, the last 60 years where we are, where it was usual to make quick vinification. Okay, it makes fruity wines, aromatic wines, but the wines have not the time to stabilize themselves. Then we are, we must use sulfur filtration, go quick. That's okay. It makes funny, crazy aromatic wines, but after they are really fragile, they they need to be helped with the technology. And I think the idea of my cellar, my new cellar is instead of making long aging in bottles, to have time to make also long aging in the in the barrels, then that the wine can stabilize itself without I have to make anything. And I think in the history, all the great wines you can have uh, are long aging wines. Then I think it's, uh, we, we have to go through this, this uh, system. So not just long aging, but also a long period for fermenting. Like sometimes yeah. almost three months. Sometimes, yeah, well, three months is not a lot. Uh, yeah, so for example, I have a wrestling now. It's fermenting during one year. It's the wine that decides, not me. And um, if he if he's not quick, he's not quick. It's it's not very good to to. We can help perhaps a little bit, but I I don't want to heat all my cellar. It's a lot of gas, a lot of things. We, we take time, and uh, if I sell the wine today or in three months, I will sell it. Then it's better. I, I'm looking, I'm hearing what the wine says me. Okay, if he wants to make something bad, I'm here for for that. But if he just needs some times, it takes times. Some years it's quick, some years it's very low. I'm here for this. If you have differently children, some children are quick, some are low, but they are children and you love them. Then I think it's, it's the same with the wines. You just are here for listening. And if it's something bad, then you have to do something. When you do age the wines, it's in wood that's quite older. It's you know almost like a hundred year old barrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I like this uh, system of old, very old barrel, big bo- big barrels, because there you have a natural micro oxidation, oxygenation uh, in the wines through the wood. Not so much as barrel, because barrel the volume. The contact with outside is very big uh, between the quantity which is small inside. In the old barrels, there is less, but there is a little bit. And then the wines is usual about having air through this permanent slow oxidation. And then the wines becomes great, big, mature. And uh, when you use, for example, stainless steel, I don't like stainless steel, you are completely closed. You, you protect the wine completely about oxidation. But the problem, the first time you have air, wine bottling, aging through the cork, the wine will be oxidized. Then I think it's better to to usual the wine f- to a, a long, slow oxidation through the wood, uh, that to keep it completely. But this, 
you keep it it's not it's not the nature it's not normal it's like when you want to protect somebody from all the disease and you and then you you put the the guy in a special room where there is no bacteria nothing that's not good because the day you go out you have all the problems then i think it's better to to go in a in a good situation which is just normal and then the wine is powerful enough to to have a long aging because then i noticed with this system of aging you your wine is ready to be aged a long time without sulfites the sulfites is just it's not a wine can that keep older old because of the sulfites that's not, that's that's not true okay on on a bad uh, low quality wine perhaps but when you make a good thing the wine can can be all just alone it doesn't need anything and nothing so the part that well, there's two things that are a little interesting to me that I don't quite understand about okay. uh, the winemaking and what I taste. So long aging in barrels, well, I mean in wood, mm-hmm. uh, but then bottled with carbon dioxide as a preservative. Why is there still the carbon dioxide? Like, wouldn't it go out from the wood after that long period of time or no? Uh, it doesn't go away completely because... Because it's not sterilized, there is always a little working, I think, in the in the in the wine. On the lease, you have always something to eat for the bacteries, for the yeasts, and because it's uh, nothing is killed, you have always something happens. It's al- always it's not a big problem because it's the main fermentation is done. Then it cannot be a big problem, but there is always something that happens. And uh, I think that's good because it's alive. And when you drink a wine, you drink also all those this bacteria and the yeast who helps you digest. And that's why many people say natural wines are more digest because you, you, you drink something which is alive. When you drink something completely sterilized, it's like when you put a stone in your stomach. Bloom, it's here. And it's more complicated for your body to digest this. The alcohol is complicated to digest because it's, it's something difficult. Then if you add, add something which is completely sterilized, your body is not happy. And uh, when your body is not happy, just the next days, perhaps you are not so good. And I think it's very useful to, to drink something, something not sterilized. And that's why there is gas. Okay, you have oxygen comes in through the wood, but there is also a little bit of gas uh, uh, always coming from the, the lease. And I think in the bottles, sometimes in the spring, when the temperature of the cellar is going higher, the wines are a bit fizzy. There is certainly something who happens, but okay, it's, it's alive. It's, it's, so it's because of the lees, the long time with the lees, and because they're not often racked. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, we don't. We, we don't make a lot of things in the cellar. I think the natural way of vinification is just to to look, to understand, to to control. But Marcel Lapierre said always the most difficult thing is to do nothing and to give all the good conditions to the wine that he, that it works alone, but don't make, I don't make a wine. The, the wine makes it itself. It's just, I have just to to give the con, good, good conditions, a good cellar, a good conditions of harvesting, that everything is okay. The other thing that's sometimes puzzling to me when I read about the wines is that you pick fairly ripe mm-hmm. and then you ferment to full dryness because you don't want the sugar unless it's a sweet wine. Yeah. 
And that's often a long fermentation. Yeah. But when I taste the wines, they don't taste heavy like the whites. They, they taste, uh, you know, not as big as I would think from picking later and then fermenting to full dryness. Is that a factor of where the vineyards are and the exposures and the kind of ripeness you're getting? Or is it the granitic soil? Or what keeps them a little bit lighter than I would think they would be? I think uh, it's like many things. It's multifactorial. And uh, you, you give the answer, okay, we have in the region where it's fresh in the night, then you keep the freshness. Okay, the granite are more elegant and delicate than some very heavy chalky soils. And I think uh, biodynamic work uh, gives also more freshness to the wines because I think the, the plants are more happy, are more good in their, sto- in their roots. And, and that's many all, all the wine growers who make biodynamic wines say the wines are more fresh. I think the organic way is good, but to fight a disease with an organic process, it's always a fight. In biodynamic, you want to have a good balance in the life of the plant, that the plant is not ill. And then you have to not fight against nothing because she's just good. And I think it's better to to make a wine which is more... The, the I think the complexity of the juices and of the grapes is more important now. And then more you have complexity, more you have freshness in the wine. And to to be ripe, I think that's really very important to have ripe grapes. If you have not ripe grapes, you have always something which is too much and something which is not enough. And uh, I always say there is just human people who can pick grapes which are not ripe. No bird, no wild pig, nobody wants to, no, no animal wants to eat something which is not ripe. And when it's ripe, it's, it's mature enough to, to make something else with, to eat it, to make wine. I don't know what. And um, that's, even the vintage is too hot, too dry, too cold, too rainy. It's, it's like this, uh, but it's a good base to be ripe. It seems like Alsace has a number of biodynamic growers when I look at that region compared to other regions. Yeah, that's true. Have you spoken with some of them? I mean, I know Frick was early on into that sort of style mm-hmm. uh, for Europe. And do you guys regularly meet? Was sort of like an association in Alsace? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. We, there is definitely association, and uh, I think it's it's nice to to have this relationship because we can exchange of about technical or and also because we meet us, we know us, and we respect us, even on the markets. And I think that's nice because after it's fighting and that's not good. Uh, yes, there is definitely association. The in biodynamics uh, wine grower, there is a, the, the French association of biodynamics is uh, is based in in Colmar. Then it's perhaps why there is a lot of biodynamic wine growers. Uh, we have the OPABA, which is a professional organization of organic wine growers. Uh, there is also Vin Vivant, which is a, an association where we work on the soils and how the soils are working to go, give good grapes. And we have also a little, a little association from the free Alsacian wines with Jean-Pierre Frick, with Bruno Schuller and uh, Patrick Meyer. And we organize a fair with, for all the wine growers and uh, yeah, I, I like these social situations because we always need your neighbor. We always need because we need a machine. We have something is broken. I think that's important to to have this exchange because it's just human. 
and uh, our society is so much individualist and that's bad because sometimes you you just need a, a teeny tiny information you don't have and it can make such a difference and it can resolve lots of problems and uh, yeah that's that's good and uh, in Alsace it's a small vineyard perhaps in the biodynamic and especially uh, natural wines the currency is not so big then that's why also it's it's okay i don't know in the future but uh, for the moment uh, i really want that this friendship is here because uh, if it begins to fight it's it's just a pity because nobody will be more happy after and lapier was known and and his son is known for doing multiple bottlings of the same wine mm-hmm. you know one with sulfur one without sulfur do you sometimes do multiple bottlings of the same wine like maybe for filtering and not filtering or something like that uh i tried yes but now after a few years uh it's just the same like in Beaujolais where they make just one wine then they can perhaps separate the things by us we make 15 different wines per year if you begin to 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 separate and to make differently things it's, it's it begins to be complicated to organize with the years of experience i know now which wine are sensitive because the vines were not so nice the vintage is different okay and then i decide okay this wine i make zero this wine i make i put a little uh, sulfites this wine I need to filter because there is a, a bit of residual sugar. I think perhaps I made some mistakes. Perhaps okay, I'm not perfect, but I think it's, it's I like this system because if not after it's, it's very too much complicated to organize. So you also make sweet wines. How do you yeah. approach the production of the sweet wines? That maybe is maybe a little different than the dry wine. <laughs> yeah, that's true because it's sweet. It's uh, it's dif- more difficult because it can ferment. I think uh, there is differently way. I am exploring, perhaps, but the traditional late harvest, you are just, it's just, uh, you have to, to make a wine bottling with a, a bit of sulfur and filtration. But it's the same when you can. I, I always make this at the end. When you usually the wine during all the vinification to be without sulfites, you just don't need a lot to be, to be clean, and uh, that's a way. And it works. And uh, after there is another way of long aging, like uh, for example the, the historic Hungarian wines, uh, like the Tokai wines, they was just aged a long, long, long time that it cannot ferment again. And I made a few zero sulfites uh, sweet wines, and it works good. I have no problems, but it just takes time. Then the aromatic is different, different because you have an oxidizing uh, age, uh, aging. And then I think it's very interesting for not uh, aromatic grape varieties like Pinot Gris or Auxerrois. But on the aromatic, you lose so much fruit that it's a bit not, I don't like it. And after I say, if you want to ferment, you can ferment. You just have to put in another bottle. Then I make some pet nut some uh, natural sparkling wines with sweet things. I put in the bottle and after it can happen what it wants. Perhaps it ferments, perhaps it ferments not, but what uh, it ferments not or it ferments, the wine is good, it's just different. And I don't have risk of explosion of anything because I put in a bubbly bottle. And that's also an idea, a nice idea because you balance the sweetness who can be some years a bit boring 
because the freshness is not here. You balance with the bubbles and you make a very interesting wine also. Then different ways exist. Because Alsace has a long history of Cremant. Yeah, yeah. Were there many people working with Petnat? No, Petnat is really not. Uh, it's, uh, it's something more usual in the Loire Valley, for example. And uh, some wine growers in the Loire Valley gave me some information about this, and that's why I tried. I just, we have, for example, Pinot Gris, or Gabriel Seminaire, who makes a lot of sugar. And uh, I think to make this wine through Petnat, that's crazy good because it gives a freshness. Some Pinot Gris sometimes, which are a bit heavy and boring to drink, have not. And uh, I like this way. But also we make Cremant, but that's another process because it's the same process as Champagne. But uh, yeah, it's nice also. And what about the recent vintages in the region? What have you seen in the last few years in terms of harvest <sighs> conditions? And yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated because we see the changing of the climate. It's not especially more warmer, but it's always more crazy. Sometimes very dry, sometimes very very humid, sometimes very cold and after very warm. And it's difficult for the plants to find the good the good situation because when it's moved a lot, it's like like with us, when the weather's changed a lot, we are more tired, we are less happy. And um, it's, it's it's difficult. But the biodynamic you can use with the plants a bit help the vines to be less sensitive to those things. Uh, with the different tea we can spray on the vines during the, the season. After, okay, we had uh, 11 or 9, which are, which was very crazy hot vintages. And after 10 was cold, 8. And 12 and 13 cold, that's good, but also rainy. Then it was a bit more difficult, especially 13, to make great wines. But it's the same uh, when you make all the work you can in the vines during all the year. The nature is good made and uh, I was a bit afraid. 13 was really a, a difficult vintage for the harvest, a lot of rain. But when you taste the wine now in the, in the cellar, it's quite good. It's more simple because the water was going in, then it's less body. But some years we say, oh, it's too much body, it's too much powerful. 13 will be happy with this, more easy, easy, light wines, easy to drink. Perhaps not to keep during years and years because the body is not here. But I think the people will be happy to have something easier than it's a life. Each, each year is different. But okay, we would like to have a year which is just normal, easy to work, because it begins to be tiring always to to adapt us of this crazy climate. But I'm not sure that will come because... Lots of things are crazy uh, in the climate, and I'm sure it's perhaps not as easy as before, but okay. You mentioned placing biodynamic treatments in the vineyard. Is that uh, sometimes on tea or sometimes on essential oils, or how does it actually work out? But we think uh, the, the phytotherapy, the, it can help the vines to, not, to, to be more more good, more in his, in, how can I say, more healthy, more... And I think that's good to give these little touches. Then we just pick some some plants in the nature, in our vines or in the forest, or and we make tea in heating water, and we just spray this. And uh, I think it helps. It's a bit like uh, when you have a chill a child who have to eat a med. When it's a syrup who has a nice taste of strawberry, he will eat it. 
if you don't have the meds, it's so not interesting to eat and then you won't eat it. It's the same. I think it helps that the, from the wellness from the plant. If it doesn't help, it's just not expensive to take a plant and put it in boiled water. It's just zero cost. Then I always say, I, have, uh, I try. If it works, it works. If it works not, I cannot damage something. Then I try and it works, I think. What about the Udavi production? You make a bit of Udavi? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's an old tradition, in, especially built more in Alsace to, to make spirits. And uh, we, have, we have the luck to have our own steel. And my father always said, me, I have time, I'm retirement. I like making this. It's wintertime, it's, it's cold outside. I'm good here. And uh, then we, we make this selection about our fruits. Uh, we have a few trees and uh, also the mach from the pressed grapes from our production. And uh, yeah, we make uh, long aging in, uh, in glass, uh, big uh, bottles, Damjan. And uh, I like this. this uh, it's a little part of our production. It's not the main, but it goes with. And um, I like uh, those good spirits because the good spirits normally when it's good made, it helps to digest. The way we say it's a digestive. And the problem, the main production of industrial spirits, they, it's just to inverse. They just kill the, the people. They are completely drunk after. And I think it's a big problem. I don't know here in the US, but uh, in France, people have now a bad image of the spirits because they say, when you drink this, you are completely done. You are drunk. Young people use this for being more quickly drunk and it's really bad because it's completely not the ID, the first ID from a spirit. For me, when I drink a spirit after a good meal where my stomach is full and I just want to take nothing, I eat, a, a, I drink a spirit and my stomach is more cool after. It really helps. Yeah, but you must take time. You... You must make the good selections when you make the distillation. This is a knowledge, this is, this is time. But, yeah, um, it's, I, th I think it's, it's interesting, this knowledge is, is, exists and uh, that people can uh, drink and appreciate those type of products. What are moments that have been particularly difficult for you that you may have learned from over the years since making the wine in 99? Have there been particularly challenging instances where you thought, you know, maybe I'm going to do it differently now, or... Uh, we always change. We, it's, <laughs> the life is uh, always moving, and what is right yesterday is false tomorrow. Then uh, we never know, and we always need to, to change, or not specifically changing, but to, to make better and to adapt us. I think adaptation is perhaps a better word than changing, because uh, the climate change, the... Uh, I change, my situation change. The, the, uh, we need always to be honest and to have the humility about this because we never know. We just make what we can. And uh, yeah, and I like to also to change. We have new vines. I make a little bit, a little bit now uh, Negos production with a friend. Then it's new adventure where you learn new, new things. Okay, we are wine growers since 1770. I cannot make new wines on the same vines each year. It's just normal. But we can also adapt certain things. And like the pet nut, for example, 
10 years ago, I did not make any petnat because perhaps now the wine, because of the climate, are much more body than sweeter. Then it's a good way to go in a petnat way because then you can make a zero sulfite vinification. Even you, are, you have residual sugar and you have more interesting wines because the bubbles can can balance the, the body. Then, okay, it's an adaptation, what you, what the nature gives you and what you want to do and what you like to do and what you taste by other wine growers. I said, okay, it's fun. I'd like to do this. Like, for example, now we try to make macerations for the whites to give the tannins we need to keep the wines uh, against oxidation, like in the reds. It's also a new way, like in, in south of France or in, in, in Italy, I, I try, yes. I don't know if it's just a mood. I don't know if it's just... I will do it regularly, but I know it exists, and perhaps some years it could be interesting to make it. What is the market for wines from Alsace today? Is it somewhat difficult to explain to people the region, the wines, the kind of thing you're doing, or do people know already? That sure, Alsace is complicated because we have a, a big range there is so much different type of vinification, different style of wine grower, sweet wines, dry wines. And it's sure, I understand for people, it's difficult for them. When they open a bottle of Riesling, they just don't know if it's sweet or if it's dry. It's sure, it's frustrating. I, I have, it's difficult to have an advice. I know, for example, in Sancerre or Chablis, you open the bottle, it's dry. Okay, it's easy. But is the life easy? If, I don't know if it's perhaps also not good to to have rules too much closed, because I think some years in some region like Sancerre, it's difficult to make a dry wine when you have want to have a, a ripe grape. Then I don't know. Uh, it's always a, the problem between the business and the markets and what the nature give you. I have perhaps the luck to have people between me and the consumer who can explain in the shops, the distributors. I know it's more complicated when you have a blind selling system like in the supermarkets where the people are just in front of a bottle and they don't know. It's it's not my problem because I don't sell the wine like this. And I understand that this problem of blind selling is a real problem for them, but I cannot, I have no advice. I cannot give a solutions because I am not concerning of this. But I know it's complicated. But I think it's a force, it's a, it's a power, this big vari- variability. It's a real power, but it's complicated, yes. Christian Benner, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for welcoming me and uh, good luck. Thanks. Bon chance. Christian Binner. Merci. Of Binner. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. 
and thank you for listening.